In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In the reading from the Acts of the Apostles, just before the moment of ascension, the disciples asked, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? As we celebrate the glorious and joyful ascension of our Lord, alongside our wonder is the nervousness the imagery of such an event creates in us. The disciples seem to be nervous as well. The question they ask is less about who you are, Jesus, than what's the plan? Are you going to fix the problems of the world now, finally? Anxiety usually moves us toward grasping ideas, getting things done before abiding in presence. But pragmatic action is no substitute for abiding presence. Doing things for Jesus is not the same as being with Jesus. We need both. If we decide to hyper-literalize the ascension, then we have to ask, what did the disciples see? Where did Jesus go? Is this history or metaphor? In the asking of such questions, we remember that we humans are pragmatic and rational creatures. We want to understand and accomplish and control. How do we not know that we should be out feeding the hungry and comforting the lonely rather than gathering in this chapel? What's more Christ-like, caring for the needy or contemplating the meaning of ancient scriptural texts? The announcement of the miraculous invites us to wrestle with possibilities beyond our powers to understand. The story claims there is a bigger world around us that we do not see. A larger reality that we cannot perceive. The life of Christ is communicated to us into the layers of conditioning and experience and imagination that we develop over decades. So before we ask what the story means, We must ask, who are we who are hearing this account of the ascension? And in so asking, we we say, do we uncritically accept the story? Do we dismiss such events as coming from the language of a pre-scientific, superstitious world, and therefore meaningless for us today? As I travel around and hear my clergy colleagues and directees, I'm I'm hearing an increase in reports from them that about an enlarging chasm between Christian doctrine and our current social challenges. What they hear is that the church is full of hypocrites or it's corrupt, or it is out of touch, or it is a thing of the past. 
The refrain is, let's not waste time with divisive theological opinions. It's time to work together to create a better world here and now. Which begs the question, if we know what's right, perhaps we no longer need to worship Jesus, but just do what he wants us to do. Many social commentators have described our cultural moment as an apocalypse, an unveiling of our buried sins, of the work that is still left undone in our collective vision of equality and justice and freedom. And indeed, we are in moments like that with varying and expanding and deepening crises and questions. And such times are full of opportunity for honest reflection, or they can be times for more denial and blame. Our deep illusion is that we believe the press of our own arrogance and can do it ourselves, gather the tools, the answers, apply them, and end whatever evil or crisis lies before us. I have heard the word fix many times in the last few weeks, perhaps because I have become more sensitized to the cultural conversation in the light of this season and in preparation for celebrating this feast. How how do we fix violence, climate change, and other social crises is asked every time I listen to the news. Some party or politician, or group can do it and should do it. Our imaginations are primed by the stories we have absorbed. We can do anything, we remember nothing. And so we are confronted today with the miraculous, the mystical, the unseen, with descriptions of the presence of realities that are beyond our minds, beyond our capacity to control and define. What the scripture is claiming is that these realms of reality are essential elements that make the world meaningful, make our humanity infused with power and hope. They are not some relics of the past or some superstitious pre-scientific world, They are the very realities that give us meaning and power. They're not meant to be comfortable or even comforting, if comforting means quick and easy solutions to complex evils of our day. While we may want answers and fixes, what we get in the scripture is something different, is hope, promise, power, the presence of Christ. And we are asked to believe that those are better, more solid and lasting gifts than our limited minds can create on our own, with our own tools and our own wills. The classic theology of the Ascension is that Jesus, whose presence was localized while on earth, passes his presence into us through the presence of the Holy Spirit into the Holy Eucharist and into the promise of the new heaven and new earth. 
which is the final and ultimate consummation of the kingdom of heaven. So the ascension is an act of love toward us, wherein Christ desires and enacts his loving embrace wide enough to encompass the whole cosmos. The divine glory of the whole cosmos enters into the particular bread and wine and comes to dwell within our flesh. The love that inhabits the universe seeks to be by us touched and tasted. So these mysteries, these these realities invite us to a renewed theological orientation, a poetic imagination that can help us discern the times as more than a series of problems to be fixed, but as an invitation to be people of patient inquiry, humble cooperation, open wonder, bold proclamations of God's truth. We are, according to Jesus, stewards and witnesses of the kingdom that is already and not yet breaking into our world, even when its progress toward peace and justice and brotherly and sisterly love seems exceedingly slow. Our work is partnering with Christ in the slow and deep work of conversion that takes as long as it takes for it to be real. Knowing and waiting in hope that the final consummation comes when the new heaven and the new earth descend from the heart of Christ into our world. The ascension is part of the theology of the person of Christ. But theology is the first word on a subject that serves to propel us into mystery. It is not the last word of a definition of hows and wheres and whens that define that mystery. The life of Christ speaks to our identity, our time, our longing, our communal moment as the central reality of our existence. A poetic imagination reminds us that life is liturgy. The earth is God's sanctuary. Corporate worship may be a respite from the news and trials and stresses of our everyday life, a refocus on the presence of God. But worship must never become an escape into an alternative world wholly separated from the rest of life. Theology that stays safely shelved in church pews is a betrayal of our faith in Jesus. And miracles in the invisible and the hope of a future promise we at times in the face of what we do to one another, can barely imagine. We are confronted over and over again with the possibility of the genuinely new, which includes the limits of our power, the folly of our capabilities to fix it. That is precisely why Jesus comes to us, shares his power and presence with us, Our mortal finitude, our awareness of our need, is the one prerequisite of sharing in the glory of our humanity as his gift. Jesus dismisses the disciples' question 
about whether he was about to restore the kingdom to Israel. It's none of your business, he says. He admonishes them not to take God's role, but to remain obedient to their vocation, our vocation as stewards of power and witnesses of God's visitation in Christ. Therefore, we will keep gathering, keep being nervous, keep waiting and watching and witnessing. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Amen.